Here we go. Pressing the live button. Okay. I believe we're live. Awesome. Uh, welcome to uh, another new episode of Growing Down. Today we have special guest Daniel Gortz. He is co-author of the Listening Society and Nordic Ideology and co-persona of Heinz E. Fronick. Um, so Daniel, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you I, very much for having me here. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to get to know yeah. you guys. I just wanted to let the audience know that uh, when we started this uh, a few months ago, um, I was talking to Ryan and, and three of my dream guests were uh, Ken Wilber, Hansi, and the Pope and Pope Francis. So I've got one of those three. So it's it's an honor to have you here. Yeah, I, I, and from here it's just going to be downhill. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so I thought going into this, we weren't going to summarize too much of your books. Um, if you're part of the integral community, I would definitely recommend reading both books. I think. If I ever had the question of what is integral politics, I would definitely hand them these two books and say, start here and go from there. Um, one of my first questions is, Dan, you've described political metamodernism is at the, and this is, a, is at the center, not of the left-right political spectrum, but of the network suspended clear in the sky. So I think a little bit of the debate we've had here is this battle between left and right. And I'm really interested in what your vision is of metamodernism and how it fits into that normal battle. Yeah. Uh, okay. It, it, I'm going to try and answer. Uh, do, do you guys, uh, Ryan and or Jeremy, have any addendums to that question I should keep in mind? I think Matt said it very well. Uh, th there's some follow-up elements yep. to that but i think we can kind of dive into that um as, as we explore those questions so why don't okay. you take it away uh, so um so roughly speaking um the the left and right uh emerges um at a certain developmental stage in society uh which is uh, has to do particularly with uh, with uh, modernity and uh and modernity then it, like a, a, you, Jeremy, you, you have written a book about uh, uh, Jean Gebser, and I'm also interested in your, uh, Jean Gebser. I haven't had the pleasure of reading, reading your book yet. I've uh, looked at it several, several times, and it's definitely up there in my reading list, and it's one of the inspirations also for, for the upcoming Hansi book, um, which is going to be about uh, historical development. Uh, so when I say modernity in this case, I mean modernity as a meta meme, and a meta meme uh, contains then uh, like so. So I'm not I'm not like a Marxist, for instance, that would say that uh, technological development drives all of the other, you know, spiritual and uh, mimetic and so on uh, developments. Rather, I think mimetic development in a wide sense over different fields tends to drive itself. Ideas drive ideas, which then, of course, drive practices, which then drive ideas and, and drive ways of life, uh, and then dynamics in society. So uh, modernity uh, uh, viewed this way begins in the arts uh, as a kind of extraction of, uh, of uh, nature from culture. Uh, in in the, the Renaissance, so when you say modern art, we shouldn't be talking about Picasso and modernists we should be talking about the renaissance really um and uh, and going on from there 
it expands into wider and wider circles of art just needs one person um and uh, and the, the the artist can just intuit modernity what it is uh, whereas philosophy starting in this well after the arts you have scientific revolutions which are actually driven explicitly even by the arts uh, by the world by, by, by progression within the arts uh, and from from uh, once the new scientific worldview breaks apart the medieval worldview uh, new cosmology and so forth um, with the scientific revolution you have the enlightenment and the enlightenment in this uh, in the, um, 18th century um, starts to apply these ideas and thoughts to society of course and uh, within the enlightenment then you have the germinating left and right as ideas so so of course Rousseau being the primordial, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau being the primordial left thinker, uh, which says basically that humanity is born free, it's pure, and society ruins her. And on the other side, you have uh, people commenting on that. And, and, and well, for instance, there is uh, Le Maître was also French French thinker a bit a bit later, early nineteenth uh, century, and uh, he uh, he uh, he uh, mocked Rousseau and said, um, "Well, sheep are born carnivores, but everywhere in the world you see them eating grass." And uh, basically, the, uh, the 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 conservative thinker is going to think that, uh, well, he, nature is grim, it's cruel, and so is humanity, and you can develop away from it, but you can't. You can't plan it for this reason, because uh, so these two germinating ideas they tend to link up with the certain, of course, uh, dynamics that have to do with industrial production, which comes at a lot later stage, and an industrial capitalism, industrial production-driven capitalism. So the the capitalist structure pr produces, as many have said our as common knowledge holds uh, some capital owners and some uh, working classes and of course you have the classes of peasantry and you still have the 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 old landowner classes and so on um, but uh, but these two classes grow so and uh, and then they also merge a little bit become a middle class or lower middle class where people own a bit of capital have a have a house, have a middle class job, which we, uh, but you don't do manual labor because things are automatized farther. So the left and the right are based upon these base assumptions about hum humanity, which ally up with material interests than in such a class society. Uh, so there's the working class left and then the middle class and upper class right. And then there's going to be a split around the middle no matter what really because uh, people are going to split around the middle because the middle is going to move depending on what uh, like uh, depending on what uh, uh, distribution you have of uh, productive forces and, and so on in a society and across societies also in the global system then so um so, so because that is then tied the left and the right there's not the left and the right of the middle ages there's not the left and the right 
of antiquity uh, or of Egypt or anything. Sure, you have slave rebellions and stuff. Would you say those were left-wing movements? No, not necessarily. Uh, was Christianity, is it left or right? Well, I mean, uh, Jesus is probably, I mean, obviously a left-wing guy, but I mean, the, the, the whole thing doesn't really make sense, right? But, but then Christianity is obviously a right-wing force, yeah. So, so uh, because it's so clearly, um, so clearly um, bound up with modernity, um, the left and the right aren't going to be super meaningful categories because in in the kind of like post-capitalist and or hyper-capitalist uh, uh, structures that are emerging in, in digital global society, even of course right now we're taking a step backwards on globalization, but long, the long-term trends are pretty clear. Um, and then... Um, I mean, then you break up this uh, this division of classes, uh, and then you break up the material elements of the left and right. Uh, so, the, so the main new uh, axis becomes like the old and the new society, which is actually much more like the uh, much more like the moments around the French Revolution or or uh, the founding of of the United States. So you had the the ancien regime. Um, and you had like the new Republican forces and the new Republican forces were then on the left because they were radical and, and they eventually later iterations uh, sparked uh, the, the industrial worker left and so on. Uh, but, but it's another kind of, it's, it, it's another kind of axis and so looking then at the at the uh, at the class structures of um, of this kind of society that's growing, first of all, uh, because it's global, uh, the, the greatest um, injustices are going to be transnational and global. So I mean, the, I mean, sweatshop worker children is is a much 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 bigger problem than I don't know uh, the, the janitor or the gardener if if they make a bit more or less money right um, so so that's that's one part and the other part is that uh, the the there are new classes showing up around this uh, around this economy uh, like the the attentionalist economy the economy of uh, cultural capital of steering meaning of catching attention of uh, like uh, of, uh, controlling basis of information like uh, and, and and crunching that information in the best possible way that you can think of and and get the greatest possible benefit from that and you benefit meaning how much you can actually control uh, other people's um, other people's time and attention uh, and thus behavior with it so uh, you have the the new classes that I would call the creative class or the natives of this new world. I, I have called them the triple H population: uh, hackers, hippies, and hipsters. Um, uh, or a quadruple H population you can add um, hermetics, is an, is an, uh, well people who are uh, more into uh, deep. Uh, 
uh, rituals and symbols and reinventions of, of uh, co-created uh, religion and, and esoteric stuff and uh, uh, well all of that stuff it, but these three or four ages if you make, make a venn diagram out of them uh, you can see that like the new kind of creative class uh, is at the intersection of those um, so this creative class uh, wants other things than the old middle classes so all the doctors and lawyers and, and engineers and and uh, you know people who uh, who uh, would normally be the what in the classical uh, modern analysis would be kind of the benchmark of society uh, they now have a new opponent and the, this new opponent says like hey guys if we continue as as usual not only are you not going to get my creative more complex more free-moving uh, solutions uh, you're also uh, we're also going to crash the system we're going to be alienated we're going to not have uh, enough uh, uh, meaning in life uh, we're not going to be healthy enough and we're uh, of course there's the sustainability thing and then there's the inequality thing and there's stuff like animal rights and stuff that um, uh, that are just not on the map of these uh, older class struggles so so uh, that's one part of it that's the that's the like the the like the upper the upper echelon of this uh, new class the new dangerous class like the left like to say then the second part is as others have argued it's the precariat and there is a revolving door between the uh between the uh, creative class and the precariat so I mean, if you're an engineer and you're doing okay, your life's going to be fairly stable. You're going to be able to, you know, get a job, keep the job, um, pay your mortgage, and so on. And, and there, there are life structures and meaning structures, and and, uh, and so on to accommodate that. Uh, whereas the creative class uh, is always in this kind of vacuum, and you're looking for the next thing, you're looking for the next project, and you're never really sure if you're ideas genius or bullshit uh, and often most of the time it's going to turn out to be bullshit and uh, you're going to fall back into the precariat and not know how to pay the rent and you'll be a liability on the state and your family so one of the bigger things here is like they're going to be you be both the precariat and the uh, and the creative class they're going to try to throw off uh uh, market restrictions uh, I just I don't just want to do what you guys pay me for I want to do what I want to do because I think it's the right thing you're not paying me to do the right thing that's part of it the other part is they're going to uh, want uh, like something like UBI and they're going to want it to be pretty no strings attached because uh, well even in a social democratic country like here in Sweden um, everything is you know all the regulations are according to this like you're either a worker or you're a business owner and you get no social security etc if you if you don't fit in these categories which the creative class don't uh, and and i mean you end up spending lots and lots of time trying to please the authorities and you you can even you know get crim criminal charges and stuff for just doing your job really um so that's kind of the new world uh, against the old world. Um, 
and it's more developmental then and the, and people aren't better in the new world i mean a lot of them are more broken etc uh, and a lot of the highly functional you know uh, make sense people or common sense people uh, who are you know better at living their lives or in the in the like conservative camp there now there's more to say about the left and the right wing that then shows up as a fractal within that new category within that new fringe and try to pry it in different directions but i want to stop there because i've been talking well much longer than than i intended to yeah great thank you um so I'll, I'll jump in here with a question from uh, my friend David, who is part of a memetic mediation group. And his question is, um, do you know of any online communities focused on practicing and implementing metamodernism? And I'll just add to that question and also ask, as we're keeping our radar out for metamodern movements and communities, what are some things we'd have to check off the list that would qualify it in your view as metamodern? And, and what are some communities that we should that are metamodern that we should all be joining or becoming friends with or checking out. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, uh, well, first of all, I really like uh, your uh, you guys. Uh, so um, I think that there's uh, there's something about putting the words integral and left together, uh, and I and and metamodernism and, and I mean game B is also interesting. Uh, so. Uh, so, so, so I mean, there are a bunch of groups around metamodernism, of course, online. There's there, there's your stuff. Uh, there is Game B, uh, which I I mean I I find resonance with, but I don't feel it's uh, I don't I don't see it as a one to one. Uh, like there 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 are key differences which are worth, which is worth uh, emphasizing. Um, so uh, that being said, there's also the, the Metamodernism Forum, uh, but it's invite only and it's via me and I have to keep it that way uh, because these things are, I mean, it's a forum where people are left and right and so on and talk uh, about applying these things and so on uh, and work out some of the theory things and, and support one another in academia and so on, but, um, but I, but we kind of have to keep it uh, a little bit private. So, um, so there's all that. Um, uh, I'm uh, professionally these days, I'm working for something called the One Project. Uh, it's uh, funded by, uh, uh, by this Silicon Valley guy, Justin Rosenstein. He invented the like button on Facebook. Um, and uh, there's a very nice team there who are working on uh, on the future of governance and, uh, and economics and uh, trying to go to first principles around uh, around um, like well, yeah we start from from ontology and epistemology and then work our way out and try to study what's out there and map it out and then try to come up with some stuff so there's that um, but one project hasn't gotten to the level yet of creating a like a community around itself so it's basically just a team um but but beyond the lookout for what this group is going to be doing that being said uh, what i hope uh, is gonna happen in the world 
is that someone somewhere is going to um, try to get really serious about implementing these things politically, meaning that somewhere, uh, like maybe on a municipal level, on a, some, some key city, maybe Stockholm, maybe Berlin, maybe where you guys are living, maybe around San Francisco, maybe. Um, maybe a third world country, maybe a small country like Iceland, I don't know. Uh, strategically, where the soil is fertile and where you know, they're, they're, the moment is right, it's all about institutional leeway that happens to exist in a certain, in a certain like di developmental dynamic of a, of a country. And they, they reach equilibriums and, uh, and once uh, like a strong equilibrium is there or, uh, or it pulls in a certain direction, then there's not that much to do. You kind of have to strategically look for, well, right here is a gap where you can actually fill it with something and take the next leap. So I would like such a project to materialize. And I would, uh, if you are a reader uh, or like a listener listening to this, or maybe we together at some point, uh, we are in this conversation, we can come up with such a project and, and make like a, a, a rigorous plan for it really. And then attract networks from around the world. Like, so I mean, hey, there are, there are thousands of metamodernists out there by now, uh, or at least hundreds. Uh, and what what would happen if they conspire together uh, to I don't know help help start a transnational municipal party in Berlin and try to uh, actually take action on some of these more uh, more uh, uh, advanced. Uh, ideas on, on, on metamodern politics. And then that could be a learning lab and an example and from the uh, inevitable failures of that thing, other things can grow. Uh, but I imagine it like it starts where it's supposed to start in the new medium on the web with us talking. And then we kind of sooner or later like it's a fantasy right now it's it's a fiction that's going to become fact we're going to come out of the screen come out of the television screen like the alien and and uh, and act in the political social world and recreate that world uh, and we're just looking for the right people for the right plans for the right uh for the right moment to play that next note right um yeah uh, oh yeah yeah what what to look for in metamodernist movements so metamodernist movements are going to be um well for, first of all there are three things i want to keep out so i want to keep the nazis out and i want to keep the fascists out uh I, i'm not going to comment further on these uh, and uh the second is i want to keep magical thinking out so, so the idea if your idea is to sit down and meditate and create a, a field uh, of, of energy which nobody can see and you can't prove it's there but it's going to save the world then then i mean that's out and uh, the third is um uh, the third is um ufos are out no ufos like i mean sure you saw a ball flying you didn't know what is a ball and that thing is okay. Uh, it's a non-identified flying object, but uh, but there aren't any aliens here, and it doesn't matter how much DMT you took. It doesn't prove anything. 
uh, and it doesn't matter what you saw on YouTube, it's they're not here. Uh, so, so first of all, those things are out. That being said, it's going to be developmental, meaning not you don't have to obsess about stages. Stages are stupid a lot of the time, but but I mean it has to be. You have to see a direction of society you want to go to, and it has to build on society, and it has to be a big qualitative shift, and it has to support the development of human beings. That's what I mean, developmental. That's one thing. It has to be multi-perspectival, uh, meaning, I mean, it has to be part. You know, it has to always keep a door open to being wrong and being hypothetical, testing hypothetical. It has to be transpartial, meaning it, 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 it tries to bridge different perspectives and it has to be co-creative. Doesn't mean that people can't have their agendas, but that it should be focusing on processes and how to create the best possible outcomes through communication. So, so those, those are like, if it has all of those, it's going to be pretty metamodern and very interesting in my mind. And I, I can't really point you to one uh, political movement. I mean, save for the, the, the little rem, like the little bits and pieces that we have here. Um, that, that would fulfill those criteria, unfortunately. So kind of a follow-up to that question too. Um, this is from Ben Bash, a, a friend of mine. How do we reach the working class with these ideas? Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that question <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, so first of all, um, so, so uh, as I said, the working class um, isn't necessarily uh, such a good category anymore uh, for this reason that, um, I mean, if you go back, I mean, even, even just 50 years, uh, there was obviously a working class. You could go to factories, see a bunch of people who were there, and they didn't have college degrees. Uh, now, manufacturing jobs today are, are well, the, the, the Midwest has a lot of them, but, but I mean, they're, they're not that common, and they're not like, if you yeah, I'm sitting here with, with friends who are normal Swedish people, this house full of friends. And a sure, one or two have worked in, um, uh, in factories, but is not a part of everyday life experience, uh, production, transport, and so on. Um, and, uh, and people have all sorts of backgrounds and so on like I, I grew up in an immigrant uh, like uh, immigrant type uh, or like community where there were almost no Swedish people left and I'm half immigrant myself and then uh, when I was a kid I didn't have that much money and then or my family didn't and then today I, my family is well to do but my sister is on uh, on uh, uh, a reduced kind of uh, 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 permanent sick leave and, and so on. And where, whereas my brother is a psychiatrist, it's difficult to, to, uh, uh, to uh, delineate the, 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 the class structures. Um, and um, uh, the, the more mobility you get, the more the class structures as we normally think of them, as we have normally thought of it, uh, them, is are going to be driven by actually uh, trait structures. Uh, so some, you know, you have low conscientiousness, high openness, people like myself, uh, you're going to 
and they're going to be different than, than the others who are have the opposite uh, direction and so on. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, and this goes not just for the working class as a category, which which we can't really use that, um, that um, monolithically. Um, it, it goes for all the other categories as well, like ethnicity, uh, gender, sexuality, functionality, uh, that if the, if the, well, we talk about a, in a developmental sense, a modern perspective, then a postmodern critique of that perspective, and then a, an attempt at a meta-modern synthesis of those perspectives, which, which is what I hope to represent and, and, and materialize. Um, so the meta-modern synthesis is that if the postmodern critique or the left-wing critique uh, oftentimes has been to include and include and include all of those different groups and try to devise strategies and often um, often affirmative action and so on to to include them that the metamodernist perspective is that okay we do have developmental prerequisites um uh, and uh, metamodern politics are gonna be the most complex ones. Uh, they're gonna be the actual opposite. I mean, the the the, the all, I mean, as far as you can get to an as 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 close as you can get to an opposite of populism. So populism goes for to lowest common denominator, simplest possible solution. Well, what's the opposite of that? Highest possible synthesis, which is the most complex possible solution often, uh, which, I'm, I mean, of course, there's the simplicity on the other side of that complexity once you get the key principles. But we can never expect a wide populist appeal of metamodernist ideas for this reason. Rather, what is the strength? It's that the ideas themselves are competitive. It's that they're superior ideas. Is, and how do they become superior ideas? By taking the perspective of other people. And how do you do that? Well, by good social science. So we all have to be really, really, really good ethnographers. Um, or uh, we have to have better dialogues. We have to learn from wider sources. We have to work harder with ourselves. Um, um, uh, we have to... Uh, uh, re recruit more complex, uh, like uh, crystalline structures of, uh, of networks and materialize those networks so we bridge more complex, interesting things. And what, what there's nothing to say that, like, that the best possible representation of someone is a certain kind of structure or like monolithic structure. Your class, if I represent your class, then you're going to be better off. Like, who says? Like, no, if, if I represent your perspective in the richness and multiplicity that it really is, then you're going to be better off. Now, that's an open question. So, so it, I mean, how do you reach the, the working class? You get to know the working class. That's it. And, and you don't owe it. There, there's no class god who's going to kill you or punish or put you in class in the class hell for not, uh, for not uh, checking off a box that you included a certain class or, or anything else, right? Uh, or any other category. It's just evolutionary. Like if you have the better perspective taking, you're gonna be able, and 
the better synthesis of different perspectives and the best theory of justice to weigh those together and the best communication to explain that and tweak that in a non-manipulative but fair and clear manner to those different audiences uh, so you can say the right things thing at the right time but still work from 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 an inner landscape or a map then you're going to be better off uh, in terms of better off as i mean proportionate influence uh, for your uh, like for the size of your network or contingency or uh, and also per per unit of time that you invest in in uh, affecting the world right um so I, I guess that answer is a bit of a downer, but to me, at least, it's inspiring in a way. Um, and it, I, I understand it can sound kind of arrogant um, because it sounds like you don't care about class, but you, you do. It's just you have to do what's possible about it. Uh, like in, and you get in yourself into a bunch of paradoxes, which are impossible if you try this, you know, in, inclusion ad infinitum. Um, so I, I, I'm not, not going to get into that, but, but that's that's why we can't do it because we, there are a bunch of paradoxes which present themselves when we try that. Yeah, just to, to add in a um, uh, more context to that question and your answer, I think uh, you know Ben was asking this in, along with me, just in the context of actually rebuilding a left. I think in the United States we're kind of in a unique position. Where, as you say, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you could go to a factory and identify the working class um, yeah. and a class consciousness. Um, and there's been, you know, 35, 40 years of, of uh, neoliberal uh, market policies, the erosion of labor unions, et cetera. So the kind of um, bifurcation I think we've been seeing in the past six, seven years has been this reawakening of uh, a genuine left in the United States. And then the question of, well, how do we organize? How do we revive? Uh, what, how is this left different than it was before? And then also in this context of metamodernism and, and integral theory and integral thinking, um, what can integral and metamodernism do? And it sounds like you, you have a way of saying the same thing I've been saying, in being a universal donor to these particular communities that are coalition building, that are leftist oriented, and are looking to develop theoretical and practical, um, you know, well, a praxis to help to build that. And as you say, to really understand the working class, to really understand, um, you know, uh, people in the different class structures in society. Uh, well, integral theory, metamodernism are these frameworks to help us plug in, and also potentially frameworks to help us build a better left that is oriented towards this new, um, as you're saying, uh, we've been calling it a bifurcation, right? The, the emerging millennial generations have a very different sense of where things need to be going from the previous generations. And it's not exactly the same left and right distinctions. Um, as Bruno Latour says, it's kind of a side reel direction. We're kind of going in a different, it's, it's, get, it's going, well, we have the left right distinctions oscillating here and then for us, we're this sort of emergent process, which creates this other oscillation between the old ways and the new. So <laughs> I ask that, you know, it, it's in the constellation of that, of that framework that I guess I've been, I've been asking that, that question, but yeah. Um, you guys want to chime in too? Uh, Daniel, did you have a response or do you want, um, I have another question if you'd like. Uh, so, uh, so uh, I mean, 
uh, you put a lot in there, Jeremy. Um, so maybe it, it maybe uh, like point out your more exact question and mm, mm. understand it. How can and I think you kind of answered it, but uh, how can the uh, metamodernism be a kind of universal donor to the unique hyperlocal struggles of, let's say, class solidarity or yeah. left left organizing? Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, okay. So that's that's okay. I'll, I'll think about that for a moment. Uh, uh, Matt. Yeah. I mean, my my question kind of going into this too, I think in your books, you were talking about, I think your next book was going to be something about outweighing capitalism. It also sounded like maybe at the beginning of this, maybe you, you're switching to more of the meta meme um, kind of uh, direction. But I guess I had the, my, my biggest hangup that I've had with the left and right um, kind of comes from a, from an economic perspective and especially uh, economic inequality. So I guess uh, I was, hoping to see if you had, and obviously you're an advocate for the competitive market economy, along with the universal welfare system. I know a lot of times with the left, the term socialist comes involved with it. And you're saying, I think I've heard your conversation with Brent, more of an advocate for metamodernists over socialists. And so I guess I would want to know from a metamodern perspective, um, what, what's the answer, so to speak, to, to decreasing the economic inequality? Uh, so, so um, uh, very good question. I could say, I could see here, um, um, could say here, um, there, there, uh, there are, um, there are connections between, between your two questions. Uh, so, uh, first of all, like, what can metamodernism offer than the left in a broad sense? So first, uh, and, and, I would say two, two or three things. Um, the first would be that the left isn't good at developmental perspectives and uh, the left tends to use all of these uh, critical sociology perspectives uh, or critical theory perspectives, sociology and anthropology and, and uh, ethnology and the rest of it. Uh, and, uh, and it tends to... Uh, it tends to if you if you hear some some weird sounds here you have this uh, this dog here running around uh, that's that's what you hear in the background uh, so uh, he's from or she's from Moscow she uh, grew up as a as a street dog in Moscow and they found her she had five pups not my dog uh, so anyway uh, if you um, um, it, if you don't have a developmental perspective, which which the, I mean, which Marx and Engels did, by the way, um, then you don't have a clear directionality. So you're always, you know, back to Rousseau. We're gonna, you know, clear everything away, and then you know the the, the noble savage on some level is gonna reemerge. Like, oh, we remove that nasty capitalism or or patriarchy or or whatever. Um, or white supremacy, and, and then something pure and good is going to happen by and on and in of itself, which I mean is very 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 different from what Marx and Engels thought. You know, they they thought capitalism is awesome, it's glorious, but it's going to trip and fall on itself sooner or later uh, by other dynamics than have uh, proven to be the case, but. Um, yeah, 
so uh, metamodernism, because it it is based on this, like first you go for modern, then you go to postmodern critique, and then you, then you kind of like find your way to a new metamodern equilibrium. For this reason, it helps to get a directionality, and then for this reason, it helps to be able to align different things that you want to develop. So personal development, there are a bunch of stage theories about that. Uh, even if, you know, people argue about this stuff and I argue with people about the details of this and that, uh, what makes sense and what is high development and what isn't, at least the basics seem to be clear. There seems to be something that we develop as human beings, we get better understanding of one another, we self-regulate our emotions by adding more layers to to how we uh, can reflect on ourselves uh, we repair all things within ourselves and those follow a bunch of layers and then our pathologies have and then and we try to get past uh, projecting stuff back and forth on each other and uh, and we try to build relationships um, and we focus less on ourselves and most more on relationships so, so th there is a development pathway there which is opened up clear, uh, cleared up and and developmental maps travel those pathways and hey that's not present in the left so so like when when people are organized like oh we're gonna organize and then you do what what it's kind of silly but what they still do to this day is like yeah let's read marks okay and, and how is that gonna help you well Rather than, of course, we should organizing should mean something like supporting mutual development and the relationships that uh, that generate are generative of such a development, co-development basically. Um, so that's one thing: the developmental maps which don't contradict the power theory. So I mean, sure, white people have a bunch of privileges, and 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 then 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 there are biases and, and so on as there are a bunch of structural differences between men and women and and all of that uh, then the second thing is okay so Marx and Engels again we, we go back to uh, to the to the cap um, to the communist manifesto and the the, the most world famous sentence of any political uh, of any political piece of writing in the one world history is right there uh, workers of the world unite mm, but we've already seen both in actual reality like out there in the world and uh and through our analysis that workers of the world unite is too difficult because it's not a monolithic category and other category and it's just one out of so many other categories and like okay so who's the worker but i own a bunch of capital here i'm middle class or uh, or ha huh, but i i don't own capital but i i'm a worker but i have a high higher wage uh i have low security i'm a migrant worker i mean workers of the world can't unite because workers of the world don't exist as monolithical not monolith category they're going to have a bunch of different interests and workers of the world are also consumers of the world and consumers are allied up with capital rather than the worker interests or the interests of labor um, so what can you unite instead P 
perspectives of the world can unite. Why? Because you can have meta perspectives. You can put perspectives together. You can compare them. And you can see that, okay, you can, one perspective is not reducible to the other, but it can be enriching of it. And uh, an interest can align somewhat. So complexity of the world unite. I mean, I, I, I told you this isn't going to, you know, sell to the average voter, but it's still the truth. Uh, so things unite because they, uh, because they align on a complex level. So the more complex thinkers and the more complex agents and those with a more long-term perspective want to change one, like who are serious about wanting to change the world. And by serious, I mean, you're, you're willing to risk your sanity and economic welfare to do it. That's 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 kind of that's kind of the the boundary here. If you're not willing to do that, you're not really part of the game. Um, so um, uh, th those need to unite, and uh, and then they provide a, an umbrella for some kind of world emergence or or, or unitedness. Uh, which is still pluralist. So here we are talking about this stuff, but we're part of a bigger movement, and the bigger movement is like it's highly. Uh, I mean, this is both a good thing and a bad thing, um, often a bad thing, but 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 it's highly pluralist, really. I mean, it's it's a rich. Like you guys are talking to all sorts of different people, and there is still some kind of like common thread, right? Uh, what is that common denominator or like, or that higher unifying principle? Well, we can unite around that and still be quite different from each other. Like, and that's what the left mean, it needs, it like needs, and that's its transcendent quality, which, which people don't see in the left these days, but we, we can create that transcendent quality. And because people don't see that transcendent quality, they want it in fucking cathedrals. And that's why they become fascists, uh, that, and they don't get the theories, but, uh, but that's, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the transcendental quality, which, which is, missing which the left did have when you could believe in in uh in uh um, like workers of the world as a category but when you can't then uh you need some other category and of course it's going to be an abstract category uh, i'm going to stop there i said i promised you two or three but i i only mentioned two but i, I talked longer than i thought Jeremy, you want to ask uh, <clears throat> Jason Snyder's question? Uh, oh, well, actually, I realized it didn't answer yours, Matt, really, about, uh, about uh, inequality then, or I mean, economic inequality specifically. Do you want me to address that also before, before we go for, to um, Jason Snyder? You can leave it out there, and then um, you could ask Jeremy's question if it can tie in. Just go ahead. Yep, yep. Okay. Okay, so this question is from Jason Snyder, and he's asking, how does metamodern politics interface with the bioregional regeneration movement? And this is definitely one of those, let's go abstract to think about how these connect, and I think they do. Yeah, uh, so I, I agree. Uh, and uh, like um, a, um, a colleague at one project has, has brought the bioregional movement to my attention and its kind of thinking. Um, I, I am not super fond of the founding documents of, uh, 
of that uh, movement or theory because I find um, um, they are too far removed from the actual uh, politics of the world. Uh, so, I mean, if, if you can't answer, what if Russia would, uh, would resist you violently? and not the other country, for that matter, if you try to break it up and uh, according to its bioregions, uh, then you don't have a serious theory. Uh, because, hey, you have, a, have an interesting intention that bioregions should be the, the defining uh, structures, and then you can much more um, uh, organically or, or with an inherent logic govern from those and according to principles set by those same bioregions. Um, so it, as I have understood it, uh, the, this, this theory is about the bioregions, which are often not at all um, the same as, as, as the, the, the borders where our countries are drawn. They should be the most natural and most, most basic foundation of governance. And then governance should link down to the people, but down to the bioregion which supports a people. So, so it's this step deeper than democracy in that sense. It represents the bioregion as, as a whole and then takes the interests of that bioregion. And they, uh, they are anti-capitalist also in, in that they believe that if you do organize according to such principles, then that more naturally uh, helps you to organize in a, in a sustainable regenerative manner which uh, doesn't detach the human system from the bioregion and they see capitalism and, and it's uh, and it's like uh, infinite growth thing as, as part of that detachment I have a relatively sketchy version of this I understand that uh, but uh, th th that being said uh, I mean those are interesting ideas and yes uh, bioregionalism um, maybe like at some point we're going to have to have systems of governance which are um, which are much closer to the natural world and um, and which deal with it I believe however those systems can only emerge from deeply human systems um, and I mean I'm as anti-humanist and anti-anthropocentric as you get so I don't mean because there's anything special about humanity. I mean, because you have to deal with the real power structures that are there in the human systems and the human minds and cultures and personalities and relationships. Um, so uh, I think that the right thing to do, if you want something in the direction of bioregionalism, is you do metamodern politics, meaning you take over um, uh, political units or units of governance somewhere in the world and you hook those up with each other and to uh, 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 global theories of governance and to uh, global projects of governance and you uh, consciously uh, and deliberately conspire in an open conspiracy against the modern world system to create a global layer of governance which can coordinate uh, stuff I mean, because only when we have a global layer of governance, which is not the same as a state, mind, mind you, um, only when you have that layer of coordination can humanity coordinate as a category against 
the, the widest category, which is non-humanity, but other life. Um, because if I try to coordinate against other life and I'm not coordinated with my fellow man and woman, then, um, yeah, then I'm going to fail in my coordination with other life. So, uh, uh, so, so, so there's all that. Um, so we have to get to this deeper layer of coordination. There's a lot more to say about that, but it, it goes towards, again, this transcendental goal of uh, highest, um, highest unifying complexity, the, the cross-paradigmatic stage model of hierarchical complexity, that we uh, have generative conditions for whole worlds of experienced life, for whole worlds of culture, and those have to be generated uh, the generative conditions for different paradigms have to show up and they have to be coordinated. So whole paradigms have to be set up for whole ways of worlds thinking of and, 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 and uh, sensing in the world uh, and sense life sensing and seeing itself. And that has to coordinate different, uh, different, um, different uh, political realities. Bioregionalism may be an important aspect of that, but it's not going to be the only the only paradigm. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I'll stop there. But the, the point is that you have to go through the human systems here and now because there's no way from here to there except upwards, and then you can break it up. And maybe bioregionalism will be one of the the new things you can break the, the new you the new. Uh, like boundaries by which you can form new new polities and so on. Uh, but it, if you don't have a higher coordination and coordination of ways of thinking, uh, I mean, wh what do you do about all the non-bioregionalists in the world, which is 99.9% .9 of the population uh, who don't want your bioregionalism and who think it's stupid or fascist? What do you do about them? If you don't have a theory about that, you don't have a political theory, right? Well said. I think, um, uh, Ryan or Matt, you guys take the next question, but I just want to comment that this is something that's come up with us in like game B conversations, et cetera. It's that, you know, we are in a transitional and intermediary time and that requires us to have a deep sense of literacy of our material histories, our current politics and uh, a strategy to interface with it. You know, getting from here to there, there's this middle ground that we really have to be deeply literate about and have actual practical strategies for. So, uh, yes. Thank you. Uh, I kind of want to ask a more fun question, but nevertheless a very serious one too. So Daniel, if you're the president of the United States and let's say you had a metamodern supermajority in Congress, uh, what would you do? What would be on your uh, top agenda priorities for some policy yeah, implementation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, first of all, I'd kill myself. But uh, no, uh, I, I, I do roughly what's in the Nordic ideology, really. Uh, so for, uh, first of all, I mean, I don't believe very much in the United States as, an, uh, as a place of real change. And the reasons for that are fairly mainstream. You can read about them in Francis Fukuyama's um, uh, Political Decay. Uh, political Order and Political Decay, I think is the title of the book, the second of his two very big uh, magnum opus. Um, but um, 
and, and then the, the, the reason roughly is that, um, well, uh, younger countries um, tend to have more updated institutions and uh, older country is the oldest and best, like, like oldest democracy in the world. And, uh, and at one point had the most high tech system, uh, but it's been, uh, it's been founded on some pretty old principles and, and the, the, the whole way the states are put together in the federal system is also very outdated. And, um, and for this reason, uh, the, the, there are many things that um, create a well, negative feedback loops, really, um, or, or, or you know, uh, things going in circles not very good ways, right? Uh, for uh, when it comes to political agency or the, the political capacity of that country. So even if uh, um, if Brent uh, Cooper would uh, uh, get his wish through uh, our former friend uh, that uh, that uh, Bernie Sanders would win, uh, then I think that what Bernie Sanders could do would be fairly limited in that kind of political system. So for this reason, I think metamodernists should uh, abandon the, the, the modern political uh, game board a little bit more and, and try to focus on, okay, where are the key, where are the key aspects? Uh, like, no, where are the key pressure points in the world system? Maybe it's Botswana, maybe it's Bangladesh, maybe it's Seoul, Korea, um, I mean, we and, or, or maybe it's in, in solutions around governance, uh, which are uh, based on on, uh, on ways of, uh, of decision making and so on. There, there are many, many, many strategies to go here. Uh, that being said, okay, let's see. Let's say we get a metamodern president, and, uh, and for some weird ass reason, it has a metamodern majority. This doesn't make any sense at all because, like I said, it. It can't work that way because we're not going to, yeah, you're not going to get metamodern majority ever. So one thing they won't do is they're not going to go down the socialist path, the old socialist path and say, okay, so socialist means good. So metamodernist means good. And this is a metamodern country. And I'm going to do metamodern politics. And now kids going to get metamodern education. And people are going to do metamodern arts. Like, because... I mean, the label doesn't have any, any real meaning like that, first of all. And, and what happened with the socialists was, of course, well, so you defined socialist as good and you define your country as socialist. So what happens with criticism against that country and what happens with like the arts, for instance? So in the end, socialist art was whatever Stalin liked. Whatever Stalin liked was whatever... Uh, helped uh, his oppressive status quo and uh, and hid the truth about the ruthlessness of his regime. And then the artist, artists of the Soviet Union, after some few initial happy years, were very, very, very miserable people uh, because they all sold out. Uh, so, so, I mean, we, so first of all, you, you don't brand the country as, as, as metamodernist and say it, it is now a higher state or anything like that. That being said, okay, so uh, there are a bunch of things that would have to be reformed about the about the American system, 
which fall way outside of my area of expertise or metamodernism in general. Uh, that being said, after that, uh, let's say we, we those things are, are also in our fantasy here, uh, doable. Uh, then uh, we do roughly the things that are in uh, Nordic ideology, meaning we uh, implement six new forms of uh, politics. Those uh, six new forms of politics are democratization politics, Gemeinschaft or community politics, um, existential politics, emancipation politics, which protects deeper freedoms of, the, of human beings from, from subtler forms of oppression or, and or less subtle forms of oppression, uh, empirical politics, which uh, make sure that things are as science-based as possible and, and try to improve the quality of science in society, and theory, politics of theory, or, or uh, narrative politics, which change, the, which affect and change the, 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 the conditions of whole paradigms emerging in society. And those six forms of politics together would go ahead and create a kind of welfare system, which is described as the, the, uh, the listening society. And this society wouldn't be like blueprinted and created top down. It would be created through the intersection of these six forms of politics, which are real forces and represent real interests and real perspectives on reality, which cut against each other and, and push each other back. Um, and then un until like this one gets the upper hand, uh, that one uh, resists until like the, the equilibrium shifts. And what they would do together is that they would um, create a population of, uh, or create the generative comp pop, uh, conditions for a population that are safer on a deep psychological level. Like you wake up in the morning or when you wake up at night, there's a profound safety within yourself, that people are in love with life, that people feel that this is a beautiful ass world and we're lucky to be born in it and that other people are good and that we like ourselves and um, and that we uh, honor nature and creation uh, and uh, feel ourselves to be uh, uh, a beautiful uh, spiritual endowed um, expression of that and that create a sense of playfulness around creating um, and that a sense of playfulness around creating solutions uh, for, for the world at the same time as seeing those serious things that are like necessary tragic limits in the world and giving us um, plenty of uh, plenty of rituals and a rich culture for expressing the tragedy of the world and how sad we actually feel about that and to make that explicit in our lives and in our relationships and uh, and that we feel that every day and make it the uh, the make it uh, an engine in our lives really that uh, that we that hey no matter how how well we my life turns out sooner or later things are going to fall apart um, no matter how beautiful like even if we build the highest most awesome 
arts projects in the world and it's this mega skyscraper pyramid uh, with a cherry on top then then it's still gonna fall apart one day um, and um, uh, and things and then well to accept that tragedy so that we live in safety acceptance and love with life uh, and then are driven by and then when you accept tragedy you're driven then by well by love by by compassion that you that you don't want suffering but you can still still accept it um and i mean that's the deep spiritual transformation basically uh, and it, we're not taking that spiritual transformation seriously if we're li leaving it up to a counterculture it has to be mainstream culture it has to be in our institutions in our education in our uh, you know it has to be everywhere really and and not as a not as a schema you know that brainwashes us or anything like that but creates generative conditions for it and that's the beauty of all of these developmental theories is they point towards an open horizon that says something like that, not an omega point. It doesn't point us towards a prison. It points us towards an open horizon, which is still a loving one. Uh, I, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. What's going to happen in the world is more likely we're going to uh, go for, you know, get go for a pretty dark and nasty ride, a very confused ride, but the developmental dynamics inherent to the universe have that directionality. And that directionality should be built into our institutions. And if it's built into our institutions, meaning it's built into our habits, it's gonna be built into our minds, it's gonna into our hearts, which was already there all, all along, right? That, you, that we, we already, kind of since we were kids we were kind of in love with life uh like you wake up and you draw first breath and uh, i don't know you taste your first blueberry and you experience your first summer and and all of these things and it is beautiful and then you learn about the things being wide and huge and awesome and mysterious so of course you we are really love in love with life uh, and something is preventing us from it so, it, and this is again, left and right, but you, you guys are hearing where I'm coming from here. Uh, the, the two things don't, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously here expressing a more left perspective, uh, uh, but I believe that the way there is actually through a hard earned development. And that development is very, very, very dialectic and it requires uh, all of these processes, six new forms of politics, which push against one another, uh, deepening our democratic processes, improving our relationships, uh, working with our existential life, and uh, yeah, all the rest of it, really. Uh, thank you. This might be uh, deep diving into some nerd shit, but I wanted to kind of ask, since you kind of brought up the different stages, I think in um, listening to society, you referred to metamodern at the uh, meta systematic. And yeah. when I listened to the future thinkers with Wilbur, he thought um, metamodernism started more at the paradynamic. And I was just wondering if you had a take on that. Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, uh, Wilbur, I, I'll just say straight out, he didn't know what he was talking about uh, on that podcast. It was because he, I mean, he, he didn't read uh, MHCs. 
and it was very obvious. He might, he might have looked at it briefly in my books or articles or something, uh, but, it, but, but he was describing it all wrong, all wrong in that uh, interview. It had nothing to do with it, with the actual theory. Um, so, so that's one thing. The other thing is, uh, this is complicated. So uh, what I mean when I say those things um, uh, is, uh, okay, so th th there are, Hello, listeners. There, there, there's a thing called the uh, model of hierarchical complexity, and uh, and it is a developmental stage model. It's Neo Piagetian, and it's mathematized these stages, and it holds that kids Piaget held that kids develop through discrete stages. And you can see those shifts; they happen relatively dramatically in the kid's life. Neo Piagetians have argued um, that you can see a similar thing on. Um, normal distribution among adults uh, and that they're not all adults are on the same cognitive stage of cognitive development and um, and, um, and then what I have argued is that uh, stages of cultural development like the meta means um, modernity for instance they they tend to correspond to such certain, certain such uh, certain stages of, of uh, complexity and uh, the way I play, place it is that well what what Jean Piaget called like the normal adult stage which you reach after you have become um, uh, after you've gone through adult uh, childhood and, and adolescence is uh, you uh, you become a formal thinker so you can, can make these formal uh, uh, you, you can reason reason formally and, and create your own uh, your own little um, um, formula, uh, your your own functions, linear functions, for instance, and so on. So, uh, uh, and I argue that that stage formal corresponds to modernity because it kind of looks like I don't know Newton's uh, Newton's uh, dynamics or something or uh, Newton's uh, mechanics. I mean, uh, and then you can go from there to postmodern next stage uh, like critiques the systems of society so that kind of corresponds to systematic thinking which is a higher stage of cognitive development which uh, is more common just in, in a or it's it's pre it, it shows up in a minority of, uh, of adults like maybe a fifth or a quarter of the normal adult population and then above that stage would be meta systematic stage of cognitive development which compares different systems and looks at properties of those systems kind of like you understand topology of something you understand uh, like the shape of the systems like aha if you go here from there to this system then that system isn't the same as this one but it has this property but this system has that property so hmm this cannot so, so this uh, kind of uh, conclusion um, can be transferred to that kind of system, but not this one, for instance. And and those kind of those kinds of uh, uh, ways of thinking and reasoning, you, you notice in, in uh, some intellectuals, but most you won't notice it because most most of them aren't at, uh, at meta systematic. They will treat most theories are going to be at systematic stage. Most academics are at systematic stage, so they're uh, uh, they often present one one system of thought. A bunch of different propositions or functions and then they systematize those and then they show the relationships between those but they don't never get to the meta systematic stage 
And this is frustrating, of course, if you're at the metasystematic stage or transitioning to it and you're beginning to see this and you're in a, you know, now you're, you're in a university department or whatever, where most people are systematic and maybe they're smarter than you in other regards. Maybe they know a lot more about this stuff and they've written a lot more articles about it or whatever. Um, you know, you can you, you kind of see a bigger picture and you have an intuition, um, but you don't get resonance for it. And these things kind of need a kind of back and forth. You can't just think things up by yourself. Nobody can. Um, you always need some kind of uh, resonance. And this goes, of course, for emotions, for sexuality and everything else, but and for cognitive models and, and worldviews as well. So my, uh, and, and uh, metasystematic people will be maybe just 2% of a normal adult population. 1.8 says Michael Commons, uh, the, the creator of the model. So anyway, um, so I, I have argued that after the postmodern critique, you have a metamodern synthesis of these two. And what I mean when I say that is that to operate metamodernism, um, to operate its, its different theories, so like, aha, so you have a theory of power and a developmental theory of freedom. And at the same time, you have to understand that this is a cultural movement, but it's also a political movement, but it's also developmental theory, but it's also a developmental stage. And all these things are interrelated, but they're not arbitrarily related. Well, just, just to get the theory and just to operate it, uh, you need to be at, uh, uh, metasystematic. So, um, in, and and um, that being said, then uh, like like inventors of the theory tend to be one stage up. So I would I would place myself then a paradigmatic and well that would that would place me in a even smaller category. Um, and uh, hey, uh, that that's these are controversial claims to make, obviously, and uh, and uh, they sound kind of conceited. So. Um, so that, that's, that's, a that's a weakness of the whole theory. Uh, but generally speaking, the, the inventors of code, the inventors of the, uh, of code, they must make, they must reason a level or, or two above, um, the code that they're going to, you know, leave for others to operate. So, I mean, you, somebody invents this computer uh, that I'm looking at and I'm working at, they have to understand more of it than I have to, I, just have to run it right uh, and um, uh, actually the same thing kind of goes for for modernity itself because if you look at all the the um, all the key elements of, uh, of modern life of uh, modern the modern state uh, of the democratic principles of the enlightenment and so on um, they are in fact if you look at them uh, invented not just one, actually two stages above uh, formal. They're all metasystematic. Um, like, yeah, how, how would you figure out that you need to separate the doing power from the legislative power to the uh, court power? And th these need to be perpetually balanced. And then you need to check some balances for that. Montesquieu's principles there are clearly metasystematic. Nevertheless, to operate them, they say a bunch of different operations, 
and then people go in these uh, these bureaucracies where people get a cert assigned certain function and they perform perform that function they can do it perfectly on formal and they can do so very skillfully um so modernity the bureaucracy and market system and democracy and so on just requires people to be on formal when a lot of people fall, fall below that or don't get to develop to formally get in a lot of trouble because then people can't run the democratic or the, the modern system um but that's another story it, either way it, the important thing here is that we need to take cognitive development very 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 seriously uh, if well if, if it's right if it's true that society does develop according to these overarching cultural logics, which have their own inherent kind of uh, cognitive properties um, or logical properties or dynamical properties, then, then, then we need the metasystematic folks to become metamodernists and we need to support people who have that capacity to also develop that capacity. Uh, it's uh, what happens if people take the metamodern code and they apply it on formal, well, most people would just throw it out the window, but if they do apply it on formal, you have all sorts of nasty things happening. So people would say, well, yeah, so apparently there's this function and it's called metamodernism and I'm gonna apply it to this thing called society. And then society is gonna get more and more of this metamodernism and then it's gonna become good. Well, no, 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 no. Then you're going to get yourself in so much trouble and you're going to be really, really, really evil in the end. And uh, that's not what you want. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a good explanation of it. Um, I know we're kind of uh, getting to the closing of, we've got about five minutes left. Um, Jeremy and Ryan, do you guys have any um, concluding questions? Just a really, really quick question from another uh, fan of yours, Daniel. Uh, he wants to know when your next book is coming out. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the question. I wish I knew. So uh, first of all, we've had the extreme uh, honor and uh, luxury to actually start getting donations. Uh, so uh, um, so we're gathering up a pot of, of money there, uh, where which... Uh, I and my co-author can support ourselves with for for a period of more concentrated uh, work. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, right now, I'm uh, signed up for other work until February and perhaps until March. Um, but it's not full time, so I keep working on the book. Um, and I wish I could give you a date, but I mean, before the next year is over, the next book's going to be out at least. And it's uh, and uh, the six hidden patterns and the book after that would be out competing capitalism because the economy book is so because it I mean, it, it deals with so important and so difficult and so technical issues. Maybe it might actually be better to uh, to write it as the fifth or sixth book in the series. So we get the, the theory of ethics and law in place before, so we have a more proper theory of justice to build upon where we can reference in that book. Uh, that being said, uh, the next one is relatively 
is, I mean, the next book is the most straightforward one and it's written in dialogue form. So you, so you have Q and you have HF and HF being Hansi Freinacht. And Hansi Freinacht is not the evil guy in this one. Uh, Hansi Freinacht is relatively good and Q is evil a little bit uh, because Q need, really needs to grill Hansi Freinacht and make sure that, I mean, uh, uh, no, no, uh, 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 I mean, no buttons are left on, uh, unpushed on this thing. Um, and it's, I mean, comparable, actually, I'm reading this one right now, um, to buy, buy, all right, it's really, really, really excellent book, but he doesn't actually, Robert Wright's already done a better job than, than even Hansi Freinacht can do, uh, on this one, but, um, uh, uh, but he doesn't have this like connection with, for instance, John Gebser's work. Um, so, so it's a kind of synthesis of those things because we need at this point to also have a, a new history or a new way of work, seeing world history so that people can weave these, we all can, can weave these personal narratives for ourselves into this world history thing um, and then interpret events according to that. We didn't go so much into interpreting world events in our first two books. And then that's a very, very important cornerstone of moving together uh, forward together as a movement. Um, so so that's, that's the next thing, a dialogue format. It's not real Socratic though, because yeah, yeah, I'm not won't go in it. It's post-Socratic. It's ironic Socratic or something. Nice. Well, thank you, Daniel. Uh, I'm looking forward to continuing our conversations. Um, I'm going to be writing a book this fall as well. So, and then of course we've got some kind of online conference to do together. So I'm just looking forward to more conversations. Yeah. Likewise. Uh, I mean, I. I uh, uh, this is the first time I meet you, uh, Ryan and, and Matt. But I mean, uh, Jeremy, I was saying before we before we were on the call that uh, I mean, I've noticed your stuff around for a long time and noticed your presence in many ways. Uh, so I, I look forward to uh, getting to know you. Like today, this interview, you you guys interviewed me. You you asked me a bunch of pretty tough questions, so so I kept talking. Uh, but I'd like to get to know you as well, uh, and. Uh, I'm going to read your book, especially as background work for, for this next Hansi book here. Fantastic. All right. Well, great. Thanks so much for joining us on uh, Growing Down Podcast. Thank, Thank you, you for your questions.